Hey, Mosaic, it's so good to be together with you. My name is David, and I am one of the pastors here at Mosaic. I have the pleasure of leading our South Pass campus with my beautiful wife, Carrie, and my three kids, Aiden, Judah, and Matisse. Just a shout out to my kids. It has been a, a time together. Boy, have we gotten to know each other at home. Um, this quarantine has been an amazing time to spend a lot of time together, and sometimes uh, we've had questions. I want to talk to you today about the world that we live in. So have you had this thought? Maybe you said it to yourself or you said it out loud. How did the world get so crazy? I mean, the tension is so thick. The other day we were having breakfast and there was uh, Judah, my 12-year-old, and I, I was just asking him for a napkin. And I said, hey, Judah, he goes, what, you want to go? And before I ended him, or threw him to the wall, I just thought, okay, now just gather your thoughts. He is just reflecting the environment. I mean, if you just take a step outside or you, you open your laptop or, or turn on the TV, it's Black Lives Matter protests, it's COVID-19, it's the countdown of the death toll. It's coming for us, literally. And there's the racial divide, and, and it seems that we're plagued by fear and death and animosity. And I could see the, the, the tension is so, so thick. But it wasn't always like this. In Proverbs 3, 19 through 20, when wisdom was let loose on the earth to be able to design beauty, it says that the Lord created the earth, but it wasn't always like this. There was a time where God and his wisdom was designing the world and, and building beauty everywhere he went. It says in Proverbs 3, 19-20, that the Lord created the earth by his wisdom. By his knowledge, he set the sky in place. His wisdom caused the rivers to flow and the clouds to give rain to the earth. If there was ever a time where wisdom was needed, it's now. And I don't know if you've thought this, but, but, but we need a new world don't we? That's one thing for certain. Even if we don't exactly know how to fix this one, we need a new one. And so wisdom is needed during this time, and we as the church are God's chosen vehicle to create a new world. Some of the reason that Pastor Irwin's been saying this for months, that we are the new humanity, is to understand our role at this time, in this moment. And as you look at wisdom, wisdom to the scriptures seems to be this mysterious code to everything that God's created, and it, it somehow creates beauty. As you look at the way that the clouds dispense the water for the rivers to flow, and the waves to crash, and the mountains to adjust in the way, that everything that he's created has design and beauty, and it's, it, it takes this intelligence from God to align things well. And if we can harness the power of this wisdom, together we can create and design this new world. I look at wisdom as an as a orchest orchestral conductor that's just navigating all the elements into a beautiful array. Now, I, I have been called many things in my life, not necessarily all good. When I was in college, I, I wrote about 10 plays and directed and produced, and, and I just remember uh, being called creative. This is David Arcos. He's very creative, and 
after a while, I kind of got tired of that title. I, I, I looked at it, and I thought, gosh, I don't, I don't want to be just known as creative. It just seems like so shallow. I was like, I, I can't wait for someone to say, here's, here's David. He actually has character and integrity. He has wisdom in his life. But it seems like being creative and being wise are like at two different ends of the spectrum. I mean, even when we think about creativity and wisdom, we think about them in a dichotomy. You're either a singer or a sage. You're an artist or a professor. You're a filmmaker or a philosopher. It seems like wisdom would be more of a mind thing and creativity maybe more of a heart thing. But, but when you look at the way that God utilizes wisdom and connects it to love, then you see that wisdom creates relational beauty. It's an ecosystem of relationship. And everything has relationship with God. Everything that aligns itself to God turns beautiful. It seems that when we together connect our lives and connect each other with love in mind, we have relational beauty. And in, in that sense, wisdom is when the imagination chooses love. Perhaps there is no greater experience, no greater state of creativity than wisdom. After all, King Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived, there's a famous story of two mothers who come and bring their baby, and one mother has stolen the baby of another, but he doesn't know which one, and they're both crying out to him, saying, this is my baby. And he says, bring me a sword, I'm, I'll cut the baby in half and give you both pieces of him. And the real mother pleads for the baby's life and says, please, just give the child away to this other mother. And in that wise decision, he immediately discovers who the thief is and who the mother is, and he restores relationship between mother and child. See, wisdom, it, it always brings relational beauty. It, it cares. And if we want to create a new world, we're going to need to harness this, this power and understand how to live today wisely in a hostile environment. Jesus did this so well, and perhaps one of the most insightful image he gives us as wisdom is as he's coming into a city that's filled with death, it's filled with anger and hatred and animosity, and he doesn't shrink back, he doesn't move on to another city, no, he engages that city with his followers, and as he's stepping in, he tells them, I want you to be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent as a dove. He gives this, this tension where wisdom settles in the middle, to help them perhaps think on their feet, to engage. Wisdom and shrewdness are, 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 are related, but perhaps a little different. It seems that to be shrewd is like having street wisdom, just like being smart and street smart are two different things. Being smart could help you graduate. Being street smart could help you live. The stakes are a little higher when you're looking at this. And Jesus was looking at a hostile environment and he knew that they needed to have both shrewdness and innocence as they stepped in and navigated this time. In Matthew chapter 9, he says they're like sh a sheep without a shepherd. And he sees them filled with all of these obstacles and all the things in their way. And he engages the city because he believes the world can be different with his presence and his people. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 10 what he does when he brings them together. He says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
In verse 7, it says, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. In verse 16, he goes on to say, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus has this uncanny belief that everything that they need, he's equipped them with. And he gives them the power to raise the dead and cast out demons and, and heal the sick. But what he does not give them is wisdom, actually. And I think the reason he doesn't give them wisdom in that moment, because wisdom is something that must be chosen before it's given. Wisdom is on us. And if we don't seek wisdom, we don't get wisdom. In fact, in James chapter 1, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, he must ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So years ago, I went on this, I don't know, self-proclaimed pilgrimage for wisdom. It was just three days I set aside to fast and pray and and, and really try to understand wisdom in my life, because I wasn't that wise, and I wanted to know, hey, could I, could I grow a couple inches in a day? Like, could I wake up with 5% wisdom and go to bed with 25%? Like, is that how wisdom works? And I, I just began to seek God, and I, I set up these appointments with the wisest people I knew, and I thought, I'm just going to focus on wisdom and see how this works. And I remember immediately having this argument with God as I looked at the scriptures, I was having these thoughts and wrestling with these ideas. And, and it seems like God was saying, you really don't know what you're asking. You don't really want wisdom. And I was like, no, I, I actually do. I, I set aside like three days. Like I got nothing else to do. This is it. And he began to have unwrap the idea of wisdom to the scripture. He was trying to help me understand that wisdom wasn't about being more intelligent, but more hungry. Wisdom was a desire to do whatever it takes to hold the mind of God. That it required life change. And I have to admit, I didn't, know that I, I didn't know that that's what I was signing up for. And he could see that that was the issue. But the reality is that wisdom is a posture. Wisdom is a posture. And the humble can truly understand what wisdom is. That's why in the passage in James, it says, if you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because if you doubt, you're, you're tossed back and forth, you're double-minded, you, you go back and forth, and you can't seem to understand what his words are. Have you ever been to that place where you've asked God for his will, and you just say, and he's not telling me. I'm asking. I ask every day. I've been asking uh, on the regular. On repeat, I keep asking, what's your will? And he's not telling me. But and from his vantage point, he's like, I'm telling you every time. But you can't understand because you already come with conclusions. You come in a state of, I'm right, and did you have anything to say about it? We think of God, we, we act like God sometimes as a waiter who brings us the menu of wisdom. And we get to look up and down the, the menu of his will and decide, what, what are we in the mood for today? He's trying to describe to us that that's actually not how wisdom works, see? If you ask, you must believe and not doubt. If you ask, you must come to him saying, whatever it takes, I, I want your mind. 
We just don't, we don't think of God. We don't think that we have to change in order to gain wisdom. God's not a waiter. He's more like a lifeguard. And we don't know that we're drowning, but he's handing us a life vest and saying, do you need some help? That's more of the reality of the picture of wisdom. There's a, a TED Talk. Catherine Schulz, who's studying what it is to be wrong, asks a poignant question. She goes, what does it feel like to be wrong? And people in the audience uh, at TED just say, well, it feels embarrassing, it feels shameful, it feels sad, it feels mad. <laughs> she goes, these are all great answers, but it's to a different question that I didn't ask, which is, what does it feel like when you realize you're wrong? The, the, the true answer for what does it feel like when you're wrong is, it feels absolutely right. See, we, we, we come to God as if we're right, and then we get confused because we can't understand what he's telling us. But with God, we have to understand and start from a, a posture of humility. We have to realize how wrong we are. Boy, it's worse than you think. We have a lot of things wrong, I'm sure. There are things that the way that we look and the way that God looks at things are different. Isaiah 55, 8 states, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways. I'm probably not supposed to say this, but do you ever go to the Bible and just think, ah, I don't really feel like reading the Bible today? Like, do you ever like, have that thought that like, I kind of know what the Bible's going to tell me? I mean, is it between you, you and I? You ever have that moment where you're like, the Bible's going to tell me to trust me or to be good, and I'm doing that. I have those moments, if I'm honest, where I don't think he's going to tell me anything like new. I think he's going to kind of repeat what I already kind of know because I'm kind of a good person. I have no idea that I'm drowning and I'm completely off base and I'm completely wrong. And then I, I open the Bible and I, I begin to read the scriptures and there's always new thinking when I come to the scriptures. And I go and I lay my will before him. I say, hey, just, just tell me whatever you want to tell me. And he always leads me into a different direction as if it's a surprise. But, but God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We just think they are. That's the problem. We go to God as if we're right. But more often than not, we go to God when we're wrong. And we're way off. And somehow his wisdom begins to make sense. That's why wisdom is described as the woman on the hill. It's like, hey, simple-minded, I'm right here. Come on up. It's really nice from up here. You know, you, he's, uh, she's calling out to the simpleton. We think we're so intelligent and so right all the time. And I think that's the danger, which leads us to my second point, is if you're, if you're the wisest person in every room you're in always, you're not very wise. Because wisdom is not a me thing. Wisdom is a we thing. Wisdom, it says in Proverbs 9, 8, it says, rebuke the wise and they will love you. That's why we have our team, our community, our church, to test and see if it's the wisest decision. We have the benefit of joining together and, and having a collective wisdom. We hold a puzzle piece and are invited to play. We gather together to understand that wisdom is a we thing. That's why Jesus said 
I, in Matthew, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Which, which by the way, is, is kind of a funny pep talk, isn't it? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Uh, By the, you know, if you haven't studied this, you know, there aren't really sheep that walk among wolves. It's it's like totally not a thing. Like, you don't have like sheep packs that come around and just kind of walk among wolves with no fear and no sense of direction. It, It doesn't happen. What you have is you have wolf packs that walk among sheep. This had to be like a terrifying description when Jesus was describing to his followers, to his church at the time, like, you're going to go into this hostile environment and you're going to be like sheep among wolves. But don't worry, all you have to be is, all you have to do is be as shrewd as a, as a snake and as innocent as a dove and you got this, you know? That, that was so backwards to them at the time. When, when wolves actually hunt sheep, they, they can kill them by, by hundreds. And what you discover is most of them killed themselves. This is how dumb sheep are. They bump into each other. They hit a wall. They suffocate. Uh, and, and most of them, are, are, they, just, they just panic and they make the worst decisions. Sheep probably are more innocent as snakes and shrewd as doves. They don't make the, the greatest decisions. But, but Jesus was telling them, I'm sending you out as a sheep pack among wolves. And you don't, have to, you, you don't have to rely on you. I'm going to give you what you need, but you need to ask. You need to engage and access the wisdom I've given you. And the wisdom is different because the posture I'm giving you, I'm, I'm sending you in among animosity. And they, in this city, are going to come at you. They're going to attack you like they're going to make life really, really hard. And, and then they, they love lamb, but it's not in a, in a good way. <laughs> they are a dangerous. And as you engage them, you need to be shrewd as a serpent, as shrewd as a snake, and as innocent as a dove. And that's why together they were called. They weren't sent out separately one by one. There was no superhero among them. They, they, they just kind of rose above everyone else. As they went together, they collectively gained wisdom. There's a beautiful passage in Ephesians that described this wisdom. Uh, Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, that describes God in all his wisdom on the earth, uh, described in this tiny planet called Earth. And it says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What this is saying is tremendous. It's an incredible insight into God's perspective. He's describing the most important entity the most profound thing that will ever be created, not just on the planet, but in the universe, is the church. There is nothing that will ever be created in any way that's more powerful than the church. The greatest thing that has ever been created anywhere is the church. It was God's idea. 
to bring people together. And the word for manifold is actually, in the original text, multicolored. God, in his profound plan, made it clear that wisdom is a we thing. That not just one person, not just one perspective, not just one nation, not just one culture, not just one color would hold the wisdom of God. No, it required that we together would express the beauty and the color and the expression of who he is in the world. That's why we are not creating the church that we want. We are creating the world that we want through the church. We are deciding together with multiple viewpoints and ethnicities and perspectives and cultures to come together to create the new humanity. This is the new world that is absolutely needed today. This is why it requires us to exercise the shrewdness of a snake, the innocence of a dove. What is it like to to contain both of those? What if you're not shrewd? And what if you're not innocent? What if you desire to be, to grow in this wisdom? There's a sense where where shrewdness is about being clever, about about not being taken advantage of, not being so gullible. Some of us in the church have been as innocent as a snake and as shrewd as a dove, if we're honest. We need to flip it. We need to be thoughtful in the way that we engage in the world, in our culture today. And I used to to wrestle, and our coach taught us how to use a person's momentum to our own advantage. If a wrestler was moving in a direction, rather than creating resistance, create an openness and relax, and let him overshoot, and use that momentum towards your advantage to get the upper hand. This is what I think about when I think about shrewdness, about a person who's coming to attack you. You don't attack back. You allow that momentum to move, and then you work towards your advantage. That's the shrewdness. The innocence is why you do it. The innocence has to do with the heart. It has to do with us actually using that for our own advantage to win that person over, to find freedom and life in Jesus. To be shrewd as a snake, to be innocent as a dove. So how do you know if you're engaging this culture, if you're moving together, being as shrewd as a snake, as innocent as a dove? How do you know if you are postured correctly for wisdom? How do you know? Well, you ask God in humility for wisdom. That's the posture. Wisdom is a posture. And you ask others who know more than you. There's wisdom in many counselors, it says. You ask those who are further down the road in their faith, who who can give you counsel. Wisdom is a we thing. And finally, you exercise shrewdness and innocence by understanding the true enemy. So how do you know if you're being as shrewd as a snake and innocent as a dove? How do you live in that kind of tension? You have to posture yourself and ask God. Then you have to access the people around you, no matter their differences. You have to have friends that disagree with you. You have to engage in conversation 
and gain a collective wisdom where sparks are flying and you're fighting well. And finally, you have to understand who the enemy is. The enemy seeks only to steal, kill, and destroy, it says in John 10.10. 10. But he came that you would have life and life in abundance. And this is what it's like to win the wolf. Jesus had such confidence in the sheep because he knew that the wolves were not the enemy, that we weren't fighting the city. We weren't fighting a group of people. We were fighting for them. We were loving our enemies. We were winning the wolf. We, in our love, in our wisdom, in our shrewdness, in our innocence, in our power, with the manifold wisdom of God, we would win the world. We'd overwhelm people with our love. We'd bring them from darkness into light. We'd bring them from bitterness into love. We'd bring them from racism into compassion and advocacy. We would win the wolf. This is our calling. Let's not miss it. Mosaic is perfectly postured for this. So, a checklist of a few things to look at to see if you're actually exercising shrewdness and innocence. Are you pulled into foolish arguments and engaging in wise ones? Can you honorably disagree? Do you win the argument or win the person when you lose the argument? Are you an echo of the culture or are you a voice in the culture? Are you known for just complaint or do you bring hope into the conversation? Are you asking God his opinion? He has one. He designed us. He has the wisdom to create relational beauty. Are you for those you disagree with? Do you pray for them? Do you pursue a win-win or win-lose? Are there leaders who can speak into your life even when you feel so right? And finally, are you inviting people into the new humanity here at Mosaic? We've paid the price. I've been here for about 30 years. We made decisions decades ago. Together as a community, knowing that one day we would be a, a place for all those people who didn't have a place. We made those decisions so that together we could create a, a voice of hope in the world. That we'd live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope. And more than ever, we have the opportunity to be a manifold, multicolored, multicultural, multi-textured voice of wisdom to realign things for God's purposes and his power. This is our moment. Let's posture ourselves for wisdom. Let's gather together. And let's exercise shrewdness and innocence as we move to create a new world as a church. And you may be here and you don't have any idea about the wisdom of God. You, you, you may be here for the very first time even, or maybe a friend or a family member or a coworker invited you to, 
to join us in our community online here at Mosaic. And you may be thinking that maybe for you, it hasn't really added up. And perhaps in this moment, you can see the beautiful future that's emerging. Not what we had, but something so much more beautiful. This can only be found in Jesus Christ, who came and gave his life so that we would find out what it was to have life and freedom. Jesus, who laid down his life to forgive us of everything we've ever done wrong, who died for our sin and was raised with new life to conquer everything that had conquered us, to free us, not just from the bondage of sin and corruption, animosity and bitterness and struggle that would ultimately destroy us, but to free us even from ourselves. This is the good news that joining the movement of good in the world will change and create a new world for us together. If this is your first time and this is resonating with you and you'd like to give your life to Jesus and join the movement, not to create the church that we want, but to create the world that we want through the church, now is your moment. You can just pray with me wherever you're receiving this message from your phone, iPad, screen, flat screen, or, or laptop. You can simply pray this simple prayer by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. It's not all you have to talk about with God but it's the first step to opening your heart and your soul to him and letting him step inside of you and bring light into darkness, bring hope into discouragement and despair to be a part of something very great. If you prayed that prayer just now, I wanna pray with you just now. Jesus, I wanna pray for those who've made a decision to follow you wherever they are. Perhaps they've been struggling to find a reason even to live or to step into the future. And I want to pray, Father, that this would be a turning point, that not only would they come, but all the people, their coworkers, their neighbors, their family, their friends, that they would bring them into this new movement of hope, this new land, this new humanity that you came to bring. I pray, Father, that you would, you would reward them with a peace that perhaps they've never experienced before with your love. We thank you, Jesus, for the reality of your love and your presence in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been such a great time to be with you and to look together at the possibility of our future. We can't wait to see what unfolds in the next few days and weeks and months as we create a new world together. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.